When the sun goes down and the moon comes up, my world comes to life. Just gonna let the whole play, the whole song play today. I'm Hey, welcome to the Floor You Podcast. I am Paul Pleshek, Executive Director of the National Association of Floor Covering Technicians. Joined as always by the Black Belt of Bond, the Sultan of Stick, the Commander of Cohesion. The guru, Sonny Callahan. Sonny, how are you Thank doing? Thank you, sir. You've been thinking about that way too much. Way too much. <laughs> I got 30 more. I stopped at I stopped at four today. Uh, you stopped the music too early. I was dancing. I mean, I know it looked like I was having a seizure. Yeah, you know well, that's I why I stopped it. I was worried we were gonna have to call 911. <laughs> when I do it in public, people try to stick a belt in my mouth because they think I'm gonna bite my tongue off. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah. So we are joined today, one of our founding members of the NAFCT, uh, one of the first founding members of the NAFCT, Ropey Holding Company, the, the man, I'll say he's the man in charge, he'll probably correct that, but definitely <laughs> we'll correct that one. <laughs> <laughs> Brent Fike, Brent, thanks for joining us. Ah, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. And I will add one to uh, Mr. Callahan's legacy. He's professional lunch eater, man of the year. So uh, that I am. That I am. <laughs> Good call on that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, glad to have you, man. Not only not only a work colleague, but a good friend. So I'm glad you're here, buddy. Yeah, Sonny kept saying we should have you on, but he never said when. Well, I was kind of wondering, I noticed it was episode 22 and I'm like, wow, it's 21 people ahead of me. That's awesome. Oh, uh, one, of was I, your, one of them was your wife. <laughs> exactly. But you know, hey, that's fine. I, I don't have to have the limelight as much as I used to, Sonny will tell you. Um, you know, kind of maturity has its own rewards, I guess. <laughs> well, we kept asking Rex Smallwood and he didn't want to come. So we wanted sexy Rexy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. One of the dynamic duo that, that I get to work with every day. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was talking about, I was talking to somebody and they brought up Rex. I can't think of who it was. It was somebody this week. Huh. I'll have to remember that. I'll think of it during the podcast. But somebody yeah, you know, said. What, what's funny about Rex, it is not a lot of people in the industry know Rex, but those that know Rex uh, absolutely just you know, think the world of him because of his knowledge and his ability to explain things. And, uh, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to have him as one of my closest friends as well. And honestly, we need, you need to figure out a way to get him on here uh, one day, just, uh, just to have a little fun, even if he's a special guest for a, for a short time frame. But uh, uh, he is a, a very knowledgeable individual. And uh, as I like to say these days, he has a lot of common sense and he's one of the superheroes with that superpower. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's kind of like why we haven't had Kevin on here is because we would need a translator. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Maybe you have Rex and Kevin together and then nobody knows what anybody's talking about. I could check the, I could check and see if Zoom has a setting for uh, uh, closed captioning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's uh, a good call. <laughs> he wouldn't know what he was saying either. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing against people from Alabama. Don't get mad. <laughs> I got R1. But I was going to say, you know who you are, though. So it's true. That's why it's funny. <laughs> you think they're really watching this kind of technology from Alabama? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. No, but they should that be, Paul. Paul <laughs> Pichek. <laughs> I have some very good friends in Alabama, and uh, I promise you they're not watching. <laughs> oh, we love Alabama. We've got the best professional football team in the country. That's right. That's JB, right. JB no. professional. Oh no! I'd love no. to. I'd love to see them like play the Bucks or something one time. I think that would be great. <laughs> I've often thought the national well, not this year, but I bet Super they beat the Bowl Jets. Just to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Do what, Brent? I said, I've often thought the national champion should play the Super Bowl champion just to see what happens. Yeah. Just yes. to see. Just yeah. for fun. I think there's a lot you know, of NFL we, uh, teams they could beat. <laughs> well, at least we can talk about sports. Obviously, we sat down and Brent right away said, well, I'm not talking about COVID and I'm not talking about the election, so whatever. So here you are talking about <laughs> COVID in the election. Yeah, and you had to bring it up. <laughs> I just like scaring people when it comes up. That's all. I like to look on your faces when I said it. And you're both like, oh, crap. He said the words. Clinch. Had a little clinch. <laughs> <laughs> you guys couldn't pass a pee right now. Oh. <laughs> I can't get out of my chair. Uh, too bad I wasn't sitting on a piece of coal. So I have a diamond right for now. Those, for those that don't know, tell us what Ropey does. Tell us uh, uh, what you do and and what your uh, place in the industry is. Well, for those, for those of you who don't know who I am or kind of wondering uh, who Brent Feike is with Ropey Holding Company, um, I've been with uh, Ropey Holding Company, started out at, at a small company called Flexco, who's now a sister company to Ropey. Uh, but both of those uh, corporations are owned by what is called Ropey Holding Company. So if you're not familiar with that, uh, Ropey Holding Company is a family-owned business uh, owned by a gentleman in Fostoria, Ohio, by the name of Don Miller. Um, he is mid-80s, still comes to the office every day, full of energy, uh, just, a, just a real spitfire to be around. Um, the only negative thing about him is he loves Ohio State football, so we get to, uh, we get to argue about that a little bit. But, uh, you know, we, we are – what I would say one of the few family owned businesses still left in this industry. Um, it's, it's become a running joke uh, at some of our meetings is, you know, the, the opening line is we're still not for sale. Uh, and, and in this industry today, being a family owned business has its own challenges and, and it has its own uh, issues, but man, the rewards are, are just so great. Um, you know, I get to work with uh, a lot of people around the country on, on these brands of Ropey and Flexco and emerging brands such as Six Degrees and Seneca, uh, Flash Cove that are out there uh, every day uh, working on these commercial job sites and, and being involved in producing products that are going into different segments and, you know, around the world, actually. Uh, you got to view an installation yesterday from Qatar with Tuflex. So, you know, one of our sports flowing products. So, you know, doing those kind of things and, and being in my role of uh, general manager of technical uh, puts me in an environment where I deal with a little bit with installation, a lot with maintenance, a lot with technical documents, uh, issues on job sites, claims, complaints, uh, sales meetings, actually get to be a part of each and every little segment of our industry. And uh, it, it actually has given me a lot of experiences, but it's also given me a lot of life lessons, so to speak. Um, you know, and, and those, those are the ones that you learn and, you know, those different things that you sometimes learn on the fly or you learn through hardships. But, uh, um, you know, our company is stayed strong and stable through, uh, I guess, as Paul wants to talk about COVID and the election and everything else. But, uh you know, we're sitting here uh, in a very good position to move forward with uh, whichever direction it goes, and we're hoping it's positive. Um, you know, we've got our, uh, um, our plan in place and, and working our plan to, to get to where we want to be as, as a family-owned business in this industry that's basically populated with flooring mega, mega giants or flooring giants or mega corporations, whatever you want to call them. Um, <laughs> companies that are a lot bigger than we are. But, uh, you know, my, my role allows me to have interaction, like I said, with each or every level of the industry. But by far, um, one of the biggest things that I enjoy doing is, is listening or looking for information on job sites and, and helping to understand what's happening and scenarios that are going on and finding solutions or providing solutions to, uh, to, to cause or help those issues go away. Um, a lot of times it's not popular. 
Uh, a lot of times, you know, I'm able to help people out when nobody else will. But, uh, you know, hey, it's, it's, it's what keeps me going and getting up, coming to work every day. And then, of course, you know, outside of work, uh, I love to eat, love to watch football, uh, love my family. Not in any particular order. That's not, you know, if you're listening out there, that's not, you know, that's not one, two, and three. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I get uh, a good, stable environment to go home to as well. So, well, I don't understand why you have to rank those things because I usually eat while I'm watching football. So, <laughs> with the family, right? Yeah. So, you know, speaking of tonight's movie night, so we'll have, you know, good food and movie treats and sit down and watch who knows what. So, well, Lombardi often, Lombardi said, uh, what did you say? God, family, football, not necessarily in that order. So <laughs> who is this Lombardi you speak of? Is that, uh, Oh, I thought you were a football. F- you must be talking about soccer. Okay. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, you know, it, 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 in, in the words, if you're going to talk about coaches, I'll the last thing I'll say about sports in the words of bear Bryant, I ain't never been nothing but a winner. So yeah, that's it. In the words of Vince Lombardi, uh, winning's not the only thing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> winning's not everything it's the only thing there you go yeah that's it that's it well go, going back to you brent um <laughs> mo- most of us mo- most people know i had a position with my former company really similar to yours and um one thing that that i like what you said is you're kind of a liaison um you work with with the installer you work with flooring contractors then you go back to your technical team and tell them what you learned. Then you talk with R&D because R&D and technical don't always speak the same language. And when you clear R&D, then you got to go to production. Production speaks their entirely different language. So I see what you're saying because you get it from all aspects of the industry. And sometimes when that contractor asks you to do something, come in and be a savior, you know, I, what I respect you for, sometimes you tell them no. You know, sometimes it just can't be done. And too many times people in the industry, they just say, okay, we'll try this and, you know, we'll, we'll hope it works. But sometimes you just got to say, no, it won't work. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things that, uh, one, as you mentioned, one of the, one of the worst parts of my job is having to look at dollars and cents when it comes to an issue. And, and, you know, you can't just look at an issue and say, yeah, I'm going to help you here because it's $2,000 and I'm not because this one's a hundred thousand dollars. Um, you know, th- those issues, and, and it seems like um, recently the issues seem to be getting bigger. And I can understand, you know, how all of that plays with cost of materials, cost of labor, uh, you know, things like that that's going on. But, you know, you, you want to look at every situation uh, as, as close to the same way as you looked at the last one. And, you know, you have to evaluate the situation, what's actually taking place. But in order to do that, you have to have that relationship with both sides, uh, manufacturing and flooring contractors, uh, and sometimes even distributors to understand that they understand how things are supposed to work. Um, you know, we're like I said, we're manufacturing products under several different brand names. Doesn't mean they're different. Uh, doesn't mean they're always the same either. But you know, having an understanding how formulations play a role in the performance, having that understanding of how a production process plays a role in that formulation playing a role in that performance, you know, and then pairing it with the job site conditions and and putting it in the right conditions to make sure that it is set up for success. There's a lot of players involved. And if those, if anyone through that whole thing makes one little mistake it's a it's a ripple um more recently we started referring to them as dominoes is once that one domino falls if you don't pull the next two or three dominoes quickly to keep it from collapsing everything they're all going down and and when that happens there's really nothing anybody can do but get hurt feelings and uh, you know a lot of times that's that's how we uh look at things And, you know, one of the things that I've always tried to do when it comes to job sites or, you know, we've always looked at it. I said, I, I say we, this is, this is a principle that comes from our owner, Don Miller. Um, Like I said, you know, he's a, he's been around for a long time. He's built this company from where it was. He's been in the industry 65 years. 
Um, and you know, he built this, he built our company on honor and integrity and doing the right thing. And, you know, when we look at an issue, one of the things that we always look at and evaluate is, is our product right? Um, because there's no sense pointing a finger at an installer when you have incorrect product, because that does nothing to build a relationship. Right. That doesn't help anything. You know, one of, one of the things that uh, I learned as an early age, I grew up in Northwest Alabama. We're making fun of Alabama, but uh, that's home. Uh, currently now reside, you know, Northwest of Detroit and uh, love it up here. But one of the things you're I learned. For, so you're 0 for 2. <laughs> well, 0 for 2. One of the things that I learned, you know, as an, at an early age is, you know, you treat people the way you want to be treated and, and respect is earned, not given. Um, you know, those kind of things. And so, you know, we look at those things when we're, when we're trying to evaluate those concerns to, to ensure that we're trying to be as honest and, and upfront as we can. So, you know, a lot of times you get the opportunity, as we said earlier, to help somebody out and do things and, 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 you know, but, uh, it's an interesting time that we find ourselves in these days. And, and, um, uh, I'm sure as we go through this conversation today, we'll talk about that in, in uh, great detail. <laughs> yeah, with what, you were, what you were saying about, you know, doing the right thing and taking care of, of your customers, um, I can relate to that as far as um, not that it can't be done in a corporate environment, but when it's a privately held company, it's a lot easier. And they, they seem to take it, in my experience, they seem to take it a little bit more serious. So when I worked for, um, I guess I can say it because they're not around anymore. When I worked for Parakim, uh, Mr. Jordan owned the company. Um, and if I said, hey, Mr. Jordan, this product was defective and it's, it's 15,000 square feet, he goes, go make it right. You know, there wasn't a 10-step a process to find out what was going on. Of course, we'd run it through R and D. Of course, we're uh, R and D. Of course, we'd run it through production, and we confirmed that was it. But it just seems when it's when it's privately held, it's a little bit easier to be like, yeah, let's just go do it, and it's a little bit more personal because um, they want to make sure it's their name, it's their reputation, their legacy. So, yeah, I, I see that. Yeah, and, you know, and, and with all the positives that that brings, there's also some drawbacks to that as well because. You know, you not to say that this happens, but it's so easy to have that moniker of, oh, yeah, you know, if there's an issue, they'll take care of it. And so you end up starting to pick through the weeds to, to realize that, hey, this is really not our issue. So to say it bluntly, sometimes you feel like you start to get taken advantage of. Right. Um, you know, where you where you have a situation and, and something may be going on or something may be happening. And as you start to pick through the details three and four weeks after something comes up, you, you learn a, a, a what would be a major detail to you. Right. A minor thing to them. Oh yeah. We, we forgot to mention that uh, this corner of the building we were working in, you know, the glazing wasn't in or there was no windows or, you know, whatever. So, uh, you know, and, and, yeah. and a lot of times people don't understand how that directly affects the products and that it directly affects them differently well and there's yeah. a there's an assumption if there's an assumption there that the manufacturer is going to take care of it and it happens too often there's also a tipping point where they're like well they can be let's just put this in whatever happens they'll take care of it and we don't have to worry about it instead of trying to stick up for the right thing so there is a right. tipping point there if a manufacturer takes care of things every time all the time then you start feeling like you don't have to go through your uh, requirements and and try to do the job right because who cares I'll keep my customer happy and then at the end of the day they'll give me new flooring if it fails yeah yeah and I think a, a couple of things changed back in you know 2007 to 2010 during that recession two things changed really um, one for manufacturers our ability to give these customer accommodations were nipped in the bud right I mean mm -hmm. money was tight we are trying to stay open, trying not to let people lay people off. And conversely, contractors who, when they would have a three, $400, $1,000, claim, where previously they would just let it go and fix it themselves, they were turning in everything. Yep. So it was kind of a double-edged sword there. 
And uh, I think it really changed the way claims are processed and uh, uh, how, how a technical team, you know, answers those requests. Yeah, so you're, you're exactly right. And that's, that's been the thing here lately. Uh, and it's not so much been since March. Uh, you know, we, we know everything happened, you know, right around the middle of March. And um, actually, I think one of the last times I traveled, Sonny, you and I were together. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, um, you know, what, a lot of times since then, we went through a stretch where April, May, June, July, August uh, was, needless to say, slow. But it was slow when it comes to issues, concerns, complaints, things like that, just because people weren't on job sites. Uh, but as they started getting back in September, October, uh, early November, especially, you're exactly right. Things that would never have been an issue last year or the year before uh, are all of a sudden hot button issues. And <laughs> hey, you got to fix this or I'm going to lose this customer and I'm going to quit buying from you kind of a thing. And I'm like, okay, you know, it's Sometimes you just want to say, okay, um, you know, and because I know this person, this person, you know, being in this industry too, as big as it is, it's also small. And what a lot of times what installers don't understand is, is not necessarily sales management, but people in our side of the business that technical installation, training, maintenance, those kind of things, we all know each other. Yeah. Um, and, and the fortunate thing is, honestly, we pretty much all like each other. And so, so we talk, um, you know, so we have daily conversations and, and, you know, I think, um, you know, Sonny mentioned it earlier, Sonny and I consider Sonny one of my close friends and, and we have a group that texts regularly, uh, without that group, I don't think I could have made it through the last month. So, you know, nine months of work a lot of times. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, it, it's, uh, it's interesting. And, and what that gives us though, is a network to help deal with some of these issues. And even more than that is it gives us the opportunity to create and promote consistency in the industry. And so by having those relationships, I'll say it here by NAFCT, by the goal and vision of this organization, is to provide at least a consistent set of measures to begin training people so that you at least get a foundational guideline of what is expected of you when you go to a job site on a, to do an installation. One of the, and, you know, one of the things I liked about this conversation um, as regards to the NAFCT is that listening to you two talk being technical reps as, as a, a career or history of being technical rep. We set up the organization. We didn't go to the, uh, the CEOs. If you look at the board of directors, it's, it's technical reps. And one of the things we're trying to show installers, especially with that is that technical reps are the, the go-between in a lot of ways between the manufacturing and, and installation and come from installation more often than not and understand the issues that the installer faces every day and the places where that installer can say no, can't say no, should say no, I'm not putting it in, it's not ready. Um, how do we get uh, installers to understand that line better and how do we get the industry to understand the when things go in, when they shouldn't go in and well, that, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. You know, honestly, there, there are several things that, that installers can do. Um, and I'm going to also throw it out that there's a couple of things that manufacturers and technical reps and whoever's writing documentation can do. Project um, managers. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the number one thing that needs to happen is they don't need to be afraid to pick up the phone and have a conversation. Um, so much so today, um, conversations happen via text message. They happen via email. And, and I'm saying there's times I need to pick up the phone as well. Uh, but so many times things get lost in translation and they don't understand maybe the importance or something, or they just don't understand something. Um, 
as we were talking prior to the recording started, I had a conversation several, several months ago with an installer on a job site. And, you know, I walked onto the job. I had the PDF of the installation instructions opened on my phone. And I'm talking to the guy and I said, look, it says right here, you know, this is what you need to do. Well, y'all just write that so that you can point out what I'm doing wrong and get out of the job. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, you can look at it that way. We write that because it's what we expect you to do. And, well, why do you expect us to do that? Because that's how the product is designed to work. Right. Well, take take it the other way. Take it the other way and don't put those installation instructions on there. And then the floor fails. They're going to still come back to you. Yeah. So, yeah, because you didn't tell us how to do it. Um, you know, there's been a number of times, guys, this is the old joke in the industry. There's a number of times where you have an issue, get a phone call from a guy and you answer on the other end. Hey, how you doing? Um, I got a problem with your glue on this job. Okay. What's happening? Well, it's just not working. Well, what'd you do? And you see him, you know, on the other end of the phone, he's got the bucket in his hand (laughs) and reading the label as, as to describe to you exactly what he did during his installation. Why has he got to be glue? Yeah, why's well, it gotta be yeah. good? It doesn't well. <laughs> that's just primarily where we have the issue, and 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 it could be an a, absorption or porosity issue, or you know, as we're learning now, it could be dew point, as Sunny loves to talk about. You know, all these other things that are going on that can cause that to cause that to happen. It's always hey. Um, you know, and, I, and don't take this the wrong way. All of you installers out there listening, I love you. I'll give you my phone number. Call me. We'll have the conversation. I've been doing this for 30 years. Never seen this happen before. And you talk to the guy and he's 27 years old, you know, <laughs> and that's an extreme event. But, you know, go back to what I was talking about earlier, an open line of effective, honest communication would solve a whole lot of problems on job sites whole lot of problems we, we yeah and I, and I think we've talked a little bit about this before but that's really one of the goals for NAFCT that I see in my mind and uh and, and by the way Paul knows this but NAFCT was really created because of our group text our guys that are on there we felt the responsibility that we are able to make a difference then we should make a difference so that's why we did it But going back to what we were talking about, one thing that I don't think installers really understand when they get to a job site as far as is it ready or not ready, they don't don't understand what happens before them. So if you get to the grassroots level, what's happening before them, how do you know it's ready for the flooring guys? And then the flooring guys don't understand what happens after them to make sure they've done their job to be ready for the next crew that comes in, be it trim or doors or whatever. But and, and I think that's a big disconnect between different trades in our industry. Now, will we ever be able to solve that? I doubt it. But I think we could do something to make it better because you got to understand. I, I just had this conversation, social media. Again, I, I wrote that story on social media gets me every time I get worked up. But it was somebody had posted a picture. There was paint all over the floor, all over the floor. And so I, I just made some guidance. I, I did. I wasn't critical. I just said, you know, this is what something you should do. You should really get that paint off because when you put a non-porous flooring on there, the moisture vapors come up and it can cause that paint to release. Um, they literally got mad at me for saying that. We scraped it. We got everything loose. It's done. And if you're listening, I promise I'm not being critical of you. But if, you, if, if I can help you do your job better, I'd be remiss if I don't tell you, right? Right, yes. So, I'm sorry if you get mad, but I promise you, I'm not trying to be critiquing. I'm trying to save you so that when it happens on a big job, because this was multifamily and they come back to you and say, okay, uh, there's a problem with these units and you come to the manufacturer of the flooring or the adhesive, they're going to pull it up and they're going to go, okay, I'll see you later. And they're going to walk. Right. There's not going to be a negotiation. There's not going to be any discussion about what we can do. We talked about it earlier that the the sales concession for an installer doing something as blatantly incorrect as that, the the, the, the adhesive guy and the flooring guy is going to walk away. And that's what we've got to train our installers to make sure they understand that it's the little things that they do 
that can cost them money. And I was telling Paul the other day, I was, I was trying to put the words together and I still haven't done it right. You know, it's something to the effect of it's never too early to learn how to do it right, but it can be too late, right? right? You, you can learn too late and be out of business. I've seen it happen, yep. right? So, I, yep. I, you know, I, I think you can see I'm a little, I'm a little passionate about that. I, I, I think that if we, if we can help our installers, our fellow installers, we need to do it. And we're not necessarily being critical. We're being helpful. And there's a big difference between the two. Yeah, I go back to a conversation we were we had. Uh, I'm going to say early October, 2017, Sheraton Ballroom in Columbus, Ohio, son. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know, right? And 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 the, the whole theme behind that is not that we know everything, because because God knows I, I learn something every day, and the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Right. Um, but there are a lot of times that installers take on responsibilities when the unknown is far greater than the risk they ever really want to take. And, you know, I know when you start talking about some of these large contractor groups and organizations around the country, and, and there is a bunch of them, and there's a bunch of good ones, even the good ones take on risk and responsibility um, that I just shake my head at sometimes, you know, it's right. like, I, I do not know that I could do that side of the business every day and, and, you know, keep hair. Um, but you know, keep it, what <laughs> hair, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, cue ball. Um, but, but you, when you, when you look at it from that standpoint, you know, we want to talk about documentation and a, and a comment that Sonny made about the paint it's in every flooring manufacturer's documentation. You know, and where did it come from? Where yeah. did it come from? It, it come from failures. No, no, no. Where does the paint statement come from? Oh, ASTM F17. Yeah, it comes from F17, but it was written in F17 due to failures. Right. That's why we all put it in there, because it comes from 710. Yeah, and we look at it from a standpoint, and the reason we put it in our documents is installers don't know ASTM F17. You know, and, and at a minimum, uh, those are there. And, uh, you know, I, we were talking before we started this recording. Uh, in our days of travel, guys, we, we see it all. We see a lot. I remember sitting in a hotel room, brushing my teeth in the bathroom, looking over in the corner by the shower and seeing reverse numbers written on the floor. And I'm like, what in the world? And it hit me. That's <laughs> my room number. So, you know, somebody somewhere got <laughs> up a bunch of sheet vinyl for, you know, for a hotel and wrote the room number on the back in a Sharpie. And the next thing you know, two years later, it's transferred in reverse on the top. And, so, and, and that happens with paint. It bleeds through or it releases. But all of that stuff is there to, to promote a successful job. And, and I'm going to take a moment to get on the ASTM bandwagon. Um, Sonny and I are both heavily involved in FO6, uh, which is the flooring uh, standards or installation standards and testing for, for resilient products with ASTM. Most flooring contractors do not realize or understand they can be a member and be active in those standards developments as well. So they do have a voice. Um, they're yeah. just not taking that voice. And, you know, we're- $75 all a year. That's $75 a year, exactly. And with that money, you can get a, uh, you know, you can get access to a volume of standards that'll give you every one of these that we talk about in all of our documentation. Like $8,000 worth of standards at 40 bucks a piece, 200 some standards in that, in that division. So well, and that's that. something that, that's something that Paul is going to really get involved in moving forward. Obviously November meeting was just canceled. We got notification, but you know what Paul's role is going to be, he's going to be there as an advocate for installers, uh, not that manufacturers do anything that's um, that's unethical, right? But if there's a side to the manufacturer or a side to the installer, they're going to side to themselves, right? right? That's human nature, okay? Adhesive, underlayment, flooring, whatever. So we need to have advocates for installers in these committees, right? right. And in all these right. groups that we have, so yeah. And I think uh, we were going, going back a little bit, not to sidestep that, but we've had a lot of conversations about ASTM, of course, but the ability to, with job stops, 
I think one of the places that we're really going to work hard on is that education's always looked at teaching somebody what they have to do, but you can't explain it to your contract, to the general contractor or the homeowner or the business, why you have to stop. If you don't understand why those rules are in place, what's going to happen if they're not followed? We need the installers to an extent to become teachers that they have to, they have to understand what they have to do, what the rules are, and why those rules are in place. Because if you just say your building's not warm enough, I can't install the flooring right now because that's what the installation instructions state, then that falls on deaf ears. But if you say I can't, if the building's too cold, the relative humidity and the dew point of the slab means that we will get water in the adhesive if we put this floor down right now, goes a lot further in that general contractor saying, oh, okay, so this isn't just an arbitrary rule. There's actually reasoning behind it. I Not think that's what, what you're doing, keep... but why? Right. Not what you're doing, but why? And we talk a, a lot about that, Paul and I do. Why are you doing it? But communication for installers, um, that's something they should be working on all the time. It, it's key. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that I've been working on this just this week, honestly, is taking documentation that is present and trying to put back in a lot of, you know, simple explanation. Um, because that document is there for that installer to give to the project manager or the project manager to review and give to the installer, but also to take to the general contractor and say, hey, this is what I need. You know, you, you, it's in my contract to do it right uh, because God knows we don't have time to do it right sometimes, so we have time to do it twice. Um, you know, it, this is what I need to get it right. And one of the best examples I can give of that in a relationship is being on a job site where we're having conversations and, and again, throwing out the reality of what's going on. You know, well, hey, you know, yeah, I acclimated this product into this room and, you know, it was in the room for four days and everything was great and we installed it and now look at it. Well, how did you acclimate it? Well, you know, it was in the room, window was open, it was 90 degrees in the summertime. Well, okay, the windows are closed now and it's 50 in here and the heat and air is over in the box sitting in the corner, still there. How was this acclimated? Because your temperature is 40 degrees cooler now than it was then. Um, and you know, understanding the product and understanding the fact that one of the hottest products on the market right now, I don't want to use the word unstable, but it reacts to temperature change. It can be dimensionally stable and still react to temperature change. Sure. I mean, a, and, a lot of flooring is. And the shortcut is I want to use this adhesive to install it because it's easy and it, it produces productivity on the job because I can spread several thousand feet, I can lay it and I can get off of it because guess what? My job's behind eight weeks. I, know, I had so a job I had a job like that for an inspection and it was a uh, vinyl plank. The whole room was installed and asked about acclimation. And they looked at me and said, oh yeah, all the furnaces, everything was in when we put the flooring in. Uh, went into the furnace room and the flooring was installed underneath the, the HVAC room. <laughs> Well, you know, not, not only that, and going back to what, you know, Sonny says is another one of the things that's in everybody's documentation, understanding how your role affects the next guy or how the previous role affects you in everybody's documentation. It says, allow all other trades to finish before you start installing. Right. How does that happen on a job site that's eight months or eight weeks or two years behind when the flooring guy is in there installing right after the, the lighting and the ceiling guy is finishing up and then right behind him, a plumber's coming through to, you know, fix a leak or putting covers on electrical outlets and, you know, things like that is, is well, I know plumbers don't do that, but electricians, you know, finishing up their stuff. They suck. Everything's happening <laughs> at one time. Everything's, I've been on job sites in a large room and every trade that's on that job is working in that one room as the installer's trying to install it. Yeah. What, what other finished trade has to put up with moving scaffolding, moving right. ladders, people working on top of them, having to fix the floor, you know, 
does a painter fix the drywall? You ever seen that? It never happens, right? How did floor covering installers get pushed down? And, and, and I know the answer to it is because they're treated as a laborer. They're not treated as a certified installer who has a specific set of skills to do something. And that's what we really got to focus on to get it to where people know to get the floor ready for us. Right. And, and we've and, you know, watered you know, it down. And, and a lot of times too, you know, it, you know, we get asked the question and, and the installer wants to know, well, you know, why, why is this my fault? Well, it's your fault simply because a lot of times you just accept it as, as it's ready for you to go. And in the eyes of a lot of people, if you install over it, you accept it. It's ready. You're, you're you know? accepting and, and the liability. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's the, and that's the part is like, and I will say this, there are a lot of times that nothing ever happens. We sell a lot of material, a lot of material that goes down, a lot of installs happen this very same way. And, you know, there are no issues. Um, but when the one fails, um, you know, it's like, oh, we can't believe this is happening. And it, and it, and it, it has the chance of happening every day and it just doesn't. Yeah. I mean, what's the, what's the story we get every day, Brent? It's the way I've been doing it for 15 years. Yep. Well, for one, flooring has changed in 15 years. So is the adhesive. That's but true. two, if you've been doing it like this for 15 years, go buy yourself a lottery ticket because you're the luckiest son bitch I've ever met in my <laughs> life. And I've used that on a job site. Yep. It makes them mad, but I'm trying to make a point across. There's no way you're doing it like this, right? You've yeah. got to do it the right way or it's going to fail. Certain things. Because usually it's not just one thing that fails that causes a flooring failure or one thing being out of spec. Usually it's two, three, four things out of spec coming together that causes a failure. Yeah, and, and you know, I think we mentioned it either off air or as the recording was going about the dominoes. Once one domino falls, it, it usually brings out three or four other things that, that, are, that are contributing to that issue. Um, and you know, one of the guys in our industry who is, uh, is an, an inspector, you know, he always, he always uses a line that the, the flooring never lies. You know, the evidence never lies. The flooring never lies. The adhesive never lies. That always tells the story. It's just a lot of times it's to what extent a manufacturer or somebody goes to the extent of determining what that true story is, you know, and, and sometimes the harder you're pushed back on, or sometimes the more false information you receive, the harder you dig to find something that's, you know, to, to, to yeah. put the blame somewhere else. And, and honestly, we don't want it to be that way. Um, I had a great conversation earlier this week with a gentleman who's been in our industry for a long time. And um, I will not mention his name, but guys, I'm talking to him about NAFCT. Um, so he and I were having a conversation and it, and it brought up the whole thing about moisture. You know, why is a flooring manufacturer having to specify a moisture limitation? And, and I don't want to go down that road because that's a rabbit hole for another day. But the reality is we've had to take that responsibility because no one else would. But the reality of that story is that's a black hole. You know, I mean, if the more you learn about moisture and, and effects, the more you realize that nobody really truly knows. It's all of, well, I think this or I think that. And, and there's a lot of brilliant minds that have weighed in on this subject. Um, you know, and, and, and it's, it's one of those things. It's like there's always something on a job site that is out there to get a manufacturer or an installer. And a lot of times the installer just not being prepared for it is what creates the scenario. But there's, but to go with that and not to drag you into a rabbit hole, there's natural law. Thermal dynamics are natural law, right? You've got dew point is natural law. You can't change the fact that at certain points, moisture in the air condensates. At certain temperatures, things expand and contract. It's not limited to flooring. It's not limited to any industry. It affects us in daily life. You know, when you set your, when you set your beer down on your wife's new coffee table and it gets that ring around it and you get screamed at, you know, you can't change it. You can do something different to deal with it, put a coaster down and hopefully stay married. But you know, you, there's, there is just simply natural law that has to be dealt with. There's no way around 
dew point. There's no way around thermodynamics. And yeah. if it's your product, you're the one that has to say, this is what we made. This is rubber. This is vinyl. These are the thermodynamic properties with that material. Here's how you have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I go back to a, a path I started down a while ago, a job site that we were on and, and had a small issue and having an offline conversation with the um, owner or principal of that flooring contractor. You know, he calls me up and he says, hey, you got to help me out. And I said, okay, what do you need? Well, in your documentation, you say this. Job site must be maintained 65 to 85 degrees, you know, blah, blah, blah. He said, would you believe me if I told you that a certain percentage of the month that can take place in my climate without any permanent HVAC? And I said, yeah, I believe you. And he said, would you, what would you tell me would happen if I saw that temperature swing on a daily basis throughout my job site, but I was within that range. Well, I will tell you that you're going to experience kind of what you experienced on this job, just because of what Paul just said, the laws of thermodynamics, uh, you can't, you know, you, you can't change them. You can't Um, go from 80 to 60 and not expect it to to not do anything. Right. And so, so what that what that did to us was signify that hey we've got to take a, a, a very important stance on this we've got to change the verbiage to get it to a point where where they have the and his comment to me was if it was in your documentation that it has to be maintained at a constant temperature somewhere between that range doesn't matter if it's sixty five or eighty five but a constant temperature within three to four degrees. He said, that gives me something to go to the general contractor and say, look, I can't do it unless you accept responsibility until it's within these requirements. And, you know, we, we started looking at that and I started having conversations with a lot of my peers and most of them agreed with me. Um, the ones who have had the ability to make those changes, I think have made those changes. Uh, you know, some of our companies are technical driven, some are manufacturing, some are marketing driven. And so, you know, Unfortunately, marketing-driven companies, a lot of times it plays a role in installation instructions, how they get written, because you don't want to not sell product. Um, sorry for the facial expressions there, but, you know, that's the thing is you're, you know, you have to a lot of times view all of the areas of this industry to understand what you can and can't say and how you say it. Um I could write a 13 page document on what not to do with our products. But if certain people got their hands on it, they wouldn't buy that product because they would never, yeah. Yeah. The product next door over here, it's uh it's the same thing, but you don't have all these limitations. Yeah. Their product will respond the exact same way on that job site. It's just what they want you to know and what they want you to understand. Yeah. And I can give you an adhesive that will never fail. <laughs> Absolutely never fail. But you won't. You can't afford it. You wouldn't do it on every job because it costs too much. Yep. So. Well, and with the with installation instructions and with warranties, words have meanings, and you have to read them for understanding. Not to unfortunately, too often people are reading instructions to get out of something or find a loophole instead of reading to try to understand what it means. Right. Exactly. Or yeah. And, and it, hey, here's a perfect example of that. When I write a document, uh, Word, of course, has a, the whatever the thing's called, the reading grade level ability to tell you what grade level it is, right? I shoot for a 10th to 11th grade level. And, and that's not a knock. To me, that makes it easy to understand. Sounds high. Well, it, it, it probably is, but... The point I'm trying to make is looking at some of the ballots that were on some of the states during the election, some of the amendments, they're written at a grade level 27, 28. And we wonder, you know, a lot of times it's it's the flow of information. If the information is easier to obtain, does that make it easier for people to want to obtain it? And so, you know, that goes back to what I was saying earlier is having that relationship with an installer. I know guys that'll pick up the phone and call me and we talk about issues. And you know what? I never get claims from those guys. 
It's the ones that you never see, that you never talk to, right. that end up having the issues. You know, well, and you can you can pretty much talk to a guy on a job and understand where he's coming from, and and you know, tell whether he really wants to do the right thing. And and most people want to do the right thing. They just are allowing themselves to be forced into doing something they know is not right. So. To, to, to add on to what you were saying about the writing, and I said it sounded high, it's not really a matter of me saying that people are, are don't have the intelligence to read, but we've become a society where we don't read. And to reinforce that, uh, one of our professors on the board, we've had a discussion about their online training and, and so forth. And he puts manuals on there and, and says flat out that even in that college level, nobody wants to read anymore. They're watching videos, they're watching things, they're not reading about what the, the class is. And, and reading materials, even at a college level, are starting to become very, well, I'll just say less common, that they have to have a presentation, they have to have an online source for the information because the students aren't reading the manuals anymore physical books yeah yeah they, they want they want to read 140 characters or less and take it for the gospel <laughs> sorry i i <laughs> the world according to twitter is that what you're saying <laughs> hey, be careful you'll get censored so. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy uh, um we're all gonna be in trouble after this one y'all realize that right you, you can't yeah. cut that out in post-production right no, well, he doesn't know what edit button is. No. Nobody will see it where it gets, if it gets censored anyway. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we got a couple minutes left here. You know what? I think we should save the uh, the installer shortage of the existence or not of the installer shortage for the next time. I think. Uh, yeah. Well, let, let me let me say this. Let me say this about the installer shortage. If somebody out there is listening to this podcast and knows somebody who they think would make a good installer, the one message that I want you to take away from, from this from me is this is a lucrative industry if you, mm -hmm. if you care about it. You can make whatever you want to make in this industry if you're willing to work hard, do it, and learn how to do it right. Um, from you can stay in installation, you can go to project management, you can own your own business, you can work for a manufacturer, you can work for a distributor. There's so many avenues in this industry that you can go if you just, you know, want to. Um, and, and that's the thing that I, that I think is, is we've all said it and we've all heard it is there's not enough people that thinks this is a sexy industry. It's not sexy. It's hard work. It's dirty. A lot of times blue collar it's blue but, collar exactly it is blue collar but if you're willing to put the work in um you can make a really 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 good living and and i know uh as we're as we're going through this and doing this you know it, it's it's it, it just amazes me a lot of times that we we don't talk about what we do enough, you know, because a lot of times I think people are just saying, well, you know, I work in flooring. Well, you know, the people that I talk to about flooring, it's like, wow, you know, you really make it sound like it's great. And, and to me, it is. I love what I do. Yeah. I get frustrated just like the next guy. Um, I, ask my wife. There's times I walk out of this office and just shake my head and just go, you know, go outside and just walk around, sit on a rock. I got a rock out front. I call my thinking rock. You know, and it's like, I just, I have to go out there and just get away from it because it agitates me, but yeah. it's still, it's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. And if you're passionate about it, man, it, it's, it's an awesome industry to be in. A lot of great. Well, look, look, look at me, look at me for anybody listening. I started as a helper in 1990 as a helper in Orlando. And man, now I have my own 30 years. Do what? <laughs> You have been doing it 30 years. <laughs> I'm right. I don't tell people that because then you sound like a fibber. I, that's the cutoff, right? I've been doing this 30 years. You're a liar. I'm leaving. You're not listening. Right. But he, I mean, he's not 27. I, he's he's 32. So yeah, I'm 30. I'm I'm 28. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, look at me now. I own my own adhesive manufacturing company, right? 
you could do anything you want in this industry. And I've done just about everything. The only thing I wasn't was a distributor rep, but a manufacturer's rep, a technical rep, a sales rep, project manager. It, I just had to find the one that I like. And I just so happened to like adhesives. Uh, I don't know why, but you know, I've been doing it for the last 16 years now and I enjoy it. Anything you want to do, if you have that installation background, you're ahead of the game with anybody else, yeah. right? Anybody else who wants that job in flooring, you've got an advantage over them because you understand installation. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, you know, the last four years, I've had an opportunity to work with uh, a couple of guys that probably never would have gotten an opportunity to work with uh, in my position if if I hadn't have been part of some of these groups and some other things. And, and you know, one of those guys who's also on the board of directors for, for NAFCT, um, hands down, probably one of the best guys you'll ever meet. Uh, but also one of the best installers uh, you'll ever talk to. I know you don't. Yep. You know, when you when you sit down and talk about installation to this guy, and, and he's taught me so much uh, over the years, just, you know, talking to him. And I'm glad I have his phone number. That I can pick up the phone and call him. Uh, he went back to, as I call it, the dark side, but, uh, you know, because I'm a manufacturer. But for an installer, it's it's a, a, a lucrative side of the business, and, and I'm happy for him. Um, you know, but just to, to see somebody who, who has experienced all the different things that installation can bring you. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's another one of those success stories. And so, you know, it, it, they're craftsmen and that's what, that's what we need is to get back to having craftsmen within the industry. Right. And that's what they need to be referred to something other than just installer. Right. So, well, you know, and, and we've talked about this before, um, for, for installers, yeah, just some of the basic things that we want them to learn through NAFCT. Um, you know, it's not just your hand skills that you got to be, you, you got to be fluent with. You've got to understand how to pay your taxes, right? You've got to understand how to run a business. You've got to understand how to save for your future. You know, I, I use the story every time I talk, nothing worse than losing a, um, losing a, a great installer because he didn't pay his taxes. So now you were short another installer. Or the other thing that drives me crazy is when I see a guy at a shop loading up to do a big job, he's 68, 69 years old, and he knows he's got to work every single day of his life that he can because he never saved a dime, right. right? He didn't prepare. He didn't plan for the future. I was sharing that with a customer this week, and it's that kind of opened up the conversation within AFCT a little bit. And he, I could tell he was interested, couldn't really tell what he was doing. We ended up going to lunch. So like an hour later, he's like, you know, that really hit home with me talking about uh, an installer working until the last day they can. My brother's like that. And he's like, it just clicked with him. I go, let's do what we can to not make that happen. And, and I think we got a supporter because, the, you know, that drives me crazy. So we lost you there for a minute, Paul. Yep. <laughs> yep yep there's our leader <laughs> i'm here what i mean i heard all that well, we should wrap this up we're at about we're at our hour here uh brent where can people find you uh well that's a tough one no. um uh, no. uh you can find me um, through uh, Ropey, Ropey Holding Company, uh, email address bfike, F-I-K-E, at ropey, R-O-P-P-E dot com, um, solutions at rhctechnical.com. Uh, those are email addresses. Um, you know, as far as phone numbers, I don't necessarily want to give that out on this podcast. But if you dial 256-200-0433 and ask for Brent, you'll get him. Uh, you know, but, uh, that's kind of, uh, you know, I'm accessible guys, Sonny, Paul, uh, all you guys, you know, make this, make this to make this happen. I appreciate what you're doing. Um, you know, all of our documentation, Ropey, Fletsco, six degrees, uh, all has that email address on it. It all has a phone number, get a hold of that and ask for me, uh, if you want to talk, um, 
guys, I, I just, I'm here. I, I sit at this desk every day to, uh, to, to help people and to, and to, to further influence this industry. So um, want to give back and want to help as much as I can. Yep. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. Sonny, as always, Sonny at NAFCT. Yep. Anywhere well, else? Yep. Find you? Well, I was going to say that it was a funny story this week talking about how to get in touch with people. We are meeting with a contractor and they're like, well, you know, if we have questions, who do we call? I go, my phone number is literally on every single pail of adhesive that I sell. <laughs> Not one eight seven seven number goes right to my cell phone. So there's no excuse for an installer saying he can't get in touch with technical. Same with you. There's a phone number on every box that they open up, every invoice. So take the time. If you're asking somebody how to do something, nobody's going to look down their nose at you. They're going to be like, hey, this is great. This guy wants to do it right. And we'll have more respect for you than if you do it wrong and then come back to us. So, yeah, I was just smart enough, Sonny, to put a number that goes directly to Rex on our playlist. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sexy Rexy. Yep. <laughs> well, on that note, thank you, gentlemen. We will uh, be back maybe next week or the week after or whenever we get back for the next podcast. Things are a little heavy. Thanks, everybody, for listening or watching. We'll see you next see you, Brent. time. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, man. Thanks for being on. Bye. Thank you.